The reading today is taken from Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38, to Luke chapter 11, ending at verse 13. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Good evening. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Uh, Father God, uh, once again, the, the challenge uh, so often with the words of Jesus is, it's not in our heads to understand them, it's in our hearts that we, we would act on them. Father, please, would you change our hearts to treasure what is right for our joy and your glory and the good of those around us. Amen. Well, the point is surely clear enough. Jesus calls us away from all our frenetic activity and from all our busy doing things with God and tells us true spirituality is not found in doing stuff. Uh, instead, we're to withdraw from the world and to engage with a contemplative life, a spiritual life where we sit at the feet of Jesus rather than serving and doing in the world. Except, except that can't quite be right, can it? And because of what comes just before. Uh, these verses don't just whoosh, appear out of nowhere. They have a context. Uh, so often the mistakes we make in understanding God's word, the Bible, is when we ignore the context, what comes before, what comes after. And what comes before these verses are two chapters in which Jesus has been telling us to do a whole bunch of stuff, uh, to, to follow, to serve, uh, 
to love, to sacrifice, to preach the good news. The verses immediately before this incident with Mary and Martha is Jesus sending us out in the world, and when we meet aching needs, he says, go and do likewise, serve like the good Samaritan did, roll your your sleeves up and get involved. So why then do we suddenly have this story that seems to undermine all of that? Well, this incident at Mary and Martha's house is a warning against the danger that as we obey Jesus' teaching in Luke chapters 9 and 10, we can so easily get caught up in in all the stuff that we're doing for God that we, we lose sight of God himself. And we lose sight of the love for God that should be at the heart of all of the stuff we do. So Jesus is not going to warn us in this passage against activity, but against overactivity that is not God-centered. He doesn't tell us, stop being busy. He tells us, stop being over-busy with a wearying running around that has lost sight of who God is and what Jesus actually wants from us. Now, this is a particular danger, it seems to me, for mature Christians, because the longer you've been serving Jesus, well, the more you should grasp the urgency of proclaiming the gospel to those who who are still in their sins. The the more you, you should be serving other people, the more you should be exercising the gifts that the Holy Spirit has entrusted to you. And so the greater the danger that you end up just like Martha, distracted, distressed, just frazzled with everything that's going on, with no peace and no joy whatsoever. Think back to uh, to last week and the middle of chapter 10. Uh, The lawyer who approached Jesus uh, summarized correctly, the life that pleases God is a life that involves love for neighbor and love for God. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus explained what it means to, to love neighbor. And now, in these two incidents that we're going to look at tonight, in one sense, he he takes us back to what does it mean to love God? And what he tells us here is that at the heart of loving God is listening to him and looking to him. Listening to him and looking to him. We'll run through, we'll see uh, what Jesus says, why it matters, and quite how countercultural this is for us. Firstly, listen to Jesus. Very simply, listen to Jesus. So Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So he's on his journey to die on the cross at Jerusalem to save his people from their sins. And he stops by the house of Mary and Martha. This is the Mary and Martha whose brother Lazarus Jesus raises from the dead in John 11. And they're friends of his. Verse 39. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So Jesus arrives with his 12 disciples and goodness only knows how many other people and Mary quickly settles down at his feet as Jesus teaches. It's not the main point of the passage but I guess we miss quite how revolutionary this is. Rabbis of Jesus' day did not teach women. She would have been told, "Uh uh-uh, this is not your place. I'm teaching the men. But Jesus values women. Jesus' attitude to women is utterly revolutionary. And so Mary is welcome to share in the teaching of the Son of God with his disciples. 
In the background, though, there is something of a commotion. Uh, you can imagine the clattering of dishes in the kitchen, as verse 40 tells us, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You can imagine uh, increasingly noisy preparations in the kitchen, the, the dishes being clashed around, and <sighs> frustrated noises uh, drifting through. But Mary doesn't pick up the increasingly unsubtle hints from her sister. And so eventually, Martha barges in, and we read, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, think about what Martha's saying here. Firstly, uh, she's saying, Jesus, please will you intervene in this dispute in which I am clearly in the right? You read through the Gospels, that never ends well for the person saying it. But secondly, far more seriously, what she's also saying is, Jesus, you don't care about what really matters, which is the work I'm doing. Jesus, you need to get with my agenda. It's amazing how, how busyness can so easily create in us a sense of moral superiority. We're tired, we're working hard, and so we look down on those who are not as busy as I am. Those who are not as committed or as servant-hearted as they should be, not doing what I'm doing. And Jesus' response to her, it's not harsh, but it is a clear rebuke. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Martha may be full of good works, but she is, she's out of sorts with herself, and she's out of step with everybody else, and most seriously, she's out of step with God himself. You can imagine the conversation the next day. Martha, is it true? God in human flesh, Jesus, came to your house. I mean, what was it like? What, what did he say? What did he teach you? I don't know. I was busy with more important things. <laughs> I mean, but I guess we, we all know that experience of allowing the urgent to, to drown out the voice of the important. Jesus uses the word uh, to describe Martha, distracted, verse 40. She was distracted. I was reading about medieval torture this week. What you do in lockdown. And one particularly grisly method of execution was to tie the victim's four limbs to four different horses. And I'm sure you can imagine the rest. Now, the French term for this method of execution was distraction. Distraction. The root of the word is to be pulled Tracto pulled in different directions. It's a feeling many of us know only too well, even if our horses are family, work, ministry, life admin. We're distracted, we're dragged around by all the demands and the busyness. And Jesus' answer to, to the joy-sapping, wearying, overburdened, overactivity is very, very simple. He calls us to come, to sit at his feet, and to listen to him. This is the better thing, the most important thing. As he does so, he shows us that the problem with Martha is not that she's working hard. Her service, though, does not flow out of a devotion to Jesus. 
She's not doing what Jesus wants her to do. She's doing what she thinks Jesus must want her to do. And they're two different things. See, a love for God begins with listening to God. Jesus, of course, is not, he's not here physically with us anymore. But wonderfully, he sent his spirit to inspire the writers of the Bible. And so the place where we can now find the words of Jesus is here in the Bible. And just as sure as Almighty God came to Mary and Martha's house and taught his life-giving words to them, so he comes to our homes too. And we too can sit at his feet as we open our Bibles and read his word. Remember the wonderful words of Psalm 119 just before the reading? Because this is the voice of Almighty God. Because these are the words of Jesus. These are words to love. Words that give us the wisdom and the insight we need if we're to serve him well. Words that keep us from misery. Words that are sweet and full of delight. Uh, when we do marriage prep, we teach people about love languages, which usually brings a reaction uh, somewhere between an eye roll and... But for, for all our cynicism, there is a kernel of very useful truth to them. I'm sure you'll know that broadly we like to receive love in one or two of four ways. They characterize them as touch, of time, of words, and of gifts. And the danger is that we assume others like to receive love in the same way that we like to receive love. And when we give love the way we like to receive it, we can often be a massive mismatch of expectation as, as I think that my wife will, will enjoy being loved in my love language of sitting on the sofa watching television, which may not also be her love language. You see, unless we listen before doing, actually there's no real connection. And we, we tend to miss the person and miss their heart, miss what matters to them. We're assuming, well, they must be like me. They must love what I love. They, they, they must delight what I delight in. It's a formula for conflict in a marriage. But it's much more serious when it's God who we're treating in that way. But that's what we Christians are like when we, when we launch into serving God without first having sat at his feet to listen to what he says, to allow him to reset our priorities, him to, to change our hearts, him to give direction to our lives. And so each day, if we want to be genuinely serving God, we need to begin by sitting at his feet, hearing his word before we go out to serve him in his world. Martha was just so busy doing stuff for Jesus, she hadn't realized Jesus hadn't asked for any of it. I've never um, particularly liked the term quiet time, which many Christians use to describe uh, the practice of beginning the day by reading the Bible and praying to God. But, but as, I, as I studied this passage, I, I wonder if I've been wrong. In the light of uh, Jesus' comments on, on distraction, and worry about too many things. Uh, I wonder if perhaps quiet time's a good phrase after all. A time of quiet away from the distracting, demanding voices that call for our attention and the opinions that set our agenda. A time instead to, to allow God to set the agenda for the day. To allow God my heart first thing.
Now, again, I think there are particular dangers for those of us who've been Christians a long time. We've been following Jesus for years, and we think we know our Bibles pretty well. We'd never say it, but we just don't feel the urgent need to carve out time for Jesus each day. And we think, look, if I don't have a quiet time today, I've got a pretty good idea of what Jesus wants. I've been reading my Bible for years. And we think, I'm not going to go off the rails if I miss just one day, one week. Besides, unlike Martha and Mary, it's not like this is a unique opportunity. My Bible will be here tomorrow and the next day and the next week. Missing a few days is no big deal. As a teenager, um, I got to go on the tall ships race. Big boats with big sails, basically. Why on earth I applied? I have no idea. I can get seasick in a bath. But there we go. It was a, it was quite a fun adventure. But I'll never forget the, the first night when we were under full sail in strong winds, hammering along in the, in the English Channel. And it was my first turn on the helm. And so there I was with the, with the ship's wheel and the compass just in front of me and had to head in course 110 degrees or whatever it was. But I quickly realized it's not like driving a car on a straight road because every single gust of wind and every single wave that broke over us pushed the ship and it lurched in a different direction. And so I had to continually steer back to course, continually look at the compass to continually make sure we were heading in the right direction. It was a battle. And you and I may think, I've got a pretty good idea what Jesus wants me to do. I've been reading the Bible for years. But his is not the only voice giving your life direction. You see, on average, we we check our smartphones, you know, on average, 81,500 times a year, apparently. Works out as almost four and a half times every minute of our waking lives. And as we do so, we're not just bombarded with information, We're being bombarded with opinions and value judgments, which buffet us like the wind and the waves. They push us away from Jesus to functional anxiety and and different priorities. They're shaping us, not just giving us information. See, you and I spend hours every day sitting at the feet of Instagram, at the feet of Netflix, at the feet of friends, at, well, at the feet of my own inner thoughts. And as we do so, we soak up opinions and the priorities of our lives are subtly being steered and the direction of our lives are being shaped. And so every one of us needs to ensure that each day we do the one thing that is needed above everything else if we are to love God. And that is we need to give our soul what is best and sit at the feet of Jesus before we go into his world to serve him. See, only when you're doing that can you be confident that all you're busy running around, all your activity is running the race that he's actually called you to and relying on the strength that he gives rather than going on my own agenda by my own power. And so he calls us. He calls every one of us tonight. He says, come, come, come empty, get filled and then go out. Jesus has time for you each day. The question is, will you make time for him? Now, the truth is, we live in the most fast-paced, distracted culture in all of human history. There's there's absolutely no, no debate about that. 
Our lives are impoverished by, by a lack of space and time to reflect properly. But lockdown has changed that for many of us. It has forced most of us to slow down. Not everybody, some people have had a frenetic time, but for most of us, it's forced us to slow down. And it's given us time to think, to read our Bibles, to pray, to meditate. And those are things that we're typically pretty weak at, but we've been forced into a healthier pattern of life, to be honest. And as the lockdown now begins to ease, we need to work hard to make sure these life-giving disciplines remain in the foundations. We need to embed them into the foundations of our lives going forward so we don't just return to the way that we were. Likewise, some of us will need to work hard to help those we live with, to take some of the pressure off them, some of the burdens off them, so that they too can sit at the feet of Jesus and set their lives right. Listen to Jesus. Secondly, and far, far more briefly, look to Jesus. Verses 11, uh, chapter 11, 1 to 13. Now, what Jesus teaches here is that the heart of loving him is not just listening to him, it's also looking to him to provide everything. And I think, in one sense, these verses, they answer an objection that may be bubbling up in us, which is, look, it's all very well to talk about the, how good it is to spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus each day, but you have absolutely no idea the demands I face and the pressure I'm under. Well, listen to what he teaches. Chapter 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. His broad point there is very simply the comprehensiveness of God's provision. This is an out-of-town superstore kind of God. Look, I know you're worried, and you think, if I, if, I, if I spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus, a whole bunch of stuff isn't getting done. But when you come to him, you come to the God who can provide everything you need. The next verses move from comprehensive provision to, well, shameless boldness. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer. And, you, and suppose the one inside says, don't bother me. The door's locked. My children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The comparison we're to draw is not between the grumpy neighbor, understandably grumpy neighbor, and God, but between ourselves and the person knocking on the door. He's saying, given we've got a generous father in heaven, well, shouldn't you be even more shamelessly bold than this man and ask him for everything you need? And then the last section does focus on the character of God, and it's all about his abundant goodness. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. If sitting at the feet of Jesus is a privilege, 
How about having him dwell inside you by his spirit? What kindness, goodness, and generosity there is in God. Okay, so this is how the section fits together. We can be like Mary, giving our devotion to Jesus, stepping back from the demands of the day uh, that pull us in so many different directions and rob us of sleep at night and peace of mind. We can be like Mary because we know that when we come away from our doing to listen to Jesus, we come to the one who can and will provide everything that we need. (coughs) In fact, only he can provide you with the courage, the love, the wisdom, the strength to do all that is demanded of you. I love the, uh, the story of George Muller, greedy, godless young man. He was transformed when he met Jesus. And he moved to England from Germany in the early 1800s. And then in 1834, he responded, good Samaritan-like, to to the need that he saw in the streets around him and started taking orphans in. At that time, uh, orphans either lived on the street or they were in prison or they were in pretty brutal workhouses. But George Muller took them in and loved them. And over the course of his life, he housed, fed, clothed, and schooled 10,034 orphaned little boys and girls. Not only that, but he provided salaries for the teachers and the carers who staffed the homes, and he provided the food. He did all of that without appealing for money, and he had no wealth himself. He just prayed to God. And he spent the first part of every day reading his Bible and crying out to God for his needs. He recorded with Germanic efficiency over 50,000 answered prayers during his lifetime. But what I find striking about him is that God never became for him a means to an end. Uh, His time with God in the morning was not just, okay, God, here's the list of stuff I need today if all these orphans are going to be fed. He treasured his time sitting at the feet of his Savior, Jesus Christ. He wrote these wonderful words, which uh, capture the heart of Jesus' teaching in Luke 10. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend each day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. What a great thing to begin your day. What could be more important? What could drag us away from being happy in the Lord? Okay, just two implications as we close. Firstly, God God changes you. Secondly, God wants you. Now, this is not some magic formula for success. It doesn't mean, look, if I spend time with Jesus in the Bible and prayer, everything will tick, go well in my day, and I'll get through my to-do list. The outcome of your day may be no different from if you spend time with Jesus from if you don't. The outcome may be no different, but you will be different. Because spending time with Jesus changes you. It changes us from a busy day of dutiful toil to the privilege of serving God. It turns us from the idolatry of our busy lives to the worship of doing the will of God. It changes you. But the greatest implication of all is that God wants you. What these verses teach us is that what God wants primarily is not your money or your time or your service. What he wants is you. 
The creator of the universe made you so he could love you. And so that you would know the joy and the fulfillment of communion, relationship with him. Relentless busyness creates an inner turmoil because our work, even our good work, even gospel ministry, cannot satisfy us because we were made for relationship with God. And if we neglect that, then no amount of usefulness, no amount of busyness, and no amount of achievement will be able to fill that void. He made you for himself. And he makes time for you each day. Will you make time for him? Our Father God, we pray that we would see this privilege and we would gratefully take it up. Help us to turn from the the distracting, uh, wearying, frenetic over-busyness of our lives and help us to seek each day to have our soul happy in the Lord so that we might serve you wholeheartedly. Help us to, to do this, we pray, for your glory and our good. Amen.